you have your Bibles with you, I would invite you to turn to the book of Exodus, specifically chapter 5. We'll be looking this evening at the first three verses of Exodus 5. But it's been just a little bit since we've been together in Exodus. Let me just remind you of where we've been to get to this point. Uh, Moses has seen the Lord our God in the burning bush, and the Lord has revealed to him who he is and what his name is. He is the I Am. And he gave Moses powerful signs and wonders with which he will take to Egypt and to perform before Pharaoh to demand that Pharaoh let the Israelites go. And Moses has returned now to Egypt with his family. He's been reunited with his brother Aaron, and they have together gone before the elders of Israel, and they have spoken the words of God to them. And chapter 4 ends in this fashion, And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel, and that He had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshipped. So we end chapter 4 on a good and encouraging note, and we now turn from the elders of Israel to the audience of Moses and Aaron with Pharaoh in chapter 5. If you please give attention to the reading of God's holy word, for the word of the Lord is completely authoritative. The word of the Lord is completely sufficient. And the word of the Lord is completely inerrant. Exodus chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray for his blessing upon it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, We ask that you would open up your word to us, that in it we might see who you are, what you have called us to do, and how you have promised to us your goodness in Jesus Christ. This we ask in Christ's precious name. Amen. Well, they are the words that perhaps most annoy and frustrate parents. They're frustrating to hear from adults as well. The frustration is not in the words themselves. The exasperation comes from the context in which the words are said. What are those words, you might ask? Can I even say them from the pulpit? Well, at the risk of dredging up old irritations, I will. They are, I don't know. You know the situation in which these words frustrate you. In fact, at times they might seem to drive you crazy. It's when a father asks a child, after the child has sinned right before the father's eyes, why did you do that? And the child looks right up at the father and into his eyes and says, I don't know. 
The reason that these words are so frustrating is that it is obvious to both the father and the child that the child absolutely does know why he sinned. The fact of the matter is, is that the child knows, but he doesn't want to admit it. The ignorance is insincere. It's a cover-up for disobedience. And that is what is happening in our scripture this evening. God is lifting back the veil of Pharaoh's insincere lack of knowledge. (coughs) In order that we might see both the insincerity of those who claim they do not know God and our own insincerity in our excuse-making for disobeying God. And so this evening, I would like us to see that we are to proclaim the Lord our God to the world, even though the world will not listen. We see this in three things. First, we see the I am proclaimed. Then second, we see the I am questioned. And finally, we see the I am affirmed. Let's begin then in chapter 5, where, which begins innocently enough. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went in and said to Pharaoh. This chapter begins with the obedience of Moses and Aaron. Don't lose sight of the fact that Moses and Aaron are being obedient to the command of God here. God had given them a command to go to Pharaoh and to speak his words to them. And against all visible circumstances, they obey God. And they bring the word of the Lord to Pharaoh. Now this is no easy thing, because Pharaoh is likely a hothead. He is the very definition of pride. He is viewed as a god by his people. And the message, you will recall, that Moses and Aaron have to bring to Pharaoh is not designed to pacify him. In fact, it's likely to further inflame him. It's like they're tossing gasoline on a fire. And further, God has already told Moses of the initial failure that awaits him. Remember in Exodus chapter 4, he says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will not let the people go. Now, this can often be one of the most difficult things in the Christian life. Often we are tempted, just like Moses was on the mountain. We're often afraid to obey God. Especially in situations where we don't see the prospect of immediate success. But by God's grace, we too can be obedient to His commands. The Lord doesn't ask us to obey so that He can give us grace. He gives us grace so that we might be able to obey. Now notice also how Moses and Aaron begin this conversation with Pharaoh. They begin exactly as God has told them to. Thus says the Lord. Now, this would have immediate meaning to Pharaoh, for a similar prophetic formula would have been used in the royal Egyptian decrees, indicating that Pharaoh had been given divine authority. We've spoken before of the movie, The Ten Commandments, but I think this is an instance where it gives us a good picture of how Pharaoh views himself. I bet you can view in your mind's eye 
Yulebrenner as the Pharaoh, and he turns and he says, so let it be written, so let it be done. There's no pause. Thus says Pharaoh, thus it is. That's what Pharaoh is used to. But he's certainly not used to someone telling him how it will be. I want you to further notice that the obedience that Moses and Aaron have here brings a boldness to their behavior. After having begun well, they push on in the path of obedience. They boldly declare to Pharaoh, literally in whose hands their lives were, that he must let the people of God go. It is as if the more they go in the path of obedience, the bolder they get. Now this is not an easy task for all the reasons we've spoken about now and in previous weeks. It would have been far more rational for Moses and Aaron to come to Pharaoh and to try to bargain with him. To say, perhaps, could you let some of the people go? Could you let some of the people go some of the time? Could we work out some kind of deal between us? Now this is perhaps the greatest temptation of the church in our day. It is a temptation to compromise the word of God. To blunt the power of the gospel in order to make it more acceptable to the world. Let me ask you this. Are you ever afraid to speak openly about your faith? Do you ever feel that God just doesn't understand your situation? when he asks you to make disciples of all the nations. Well, you need to take heart. Because God does know your situation. Just as he knew Moses's. His commands have not changed. This is the way of the Lord. He sends his people with his word to the world. And he tells them not to compromise or to change it. He even reminds us, That the failure that comes is not because of the words themselves. It's not because of what we do. It's because of the hardness of the hearts of the hearers. We see a scene similar to this before us in Exodus 5. In Ezekiel chapter 2. Where God says to Ezekiel. Son of man. I am sending you to the children of Israel. To a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me. I am sending you to them, and you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord God. As for them, whether they hear or whether they refuse, for they are a rebellious house, yet they will know that a prophet has been among them. And you, son of man, do not be afraid of them nor of their words. You shall speak my words to them, whether they hear or whether they refuse. Would that we would have the same attitude and perspective in our world today. The second thing I want us to notice here about this path of obedience is that Moses and Aaron bring a proclamation, not a request, not an invitation. They say, thus says the Lord. They're not beating around the bush. They're not trying to manipulate the command to put it in the best possible light. It is not a request or invitation. God is not beholden to Pharaoh. He is helpless before the will of Pharaoh. It is a declaration of the servant of God, of the will of God. Now you know the difference between a declaration and a request, don't you? 
in your house, it may look something like this. You know, there may be times, young people, when your father says to you, would you mind coming out and helping me do some work in the yard? Now, that's very different than when your father looks at you and says, this is what we're doing. You're getting your shoes on, you're coming outside, and we're working in the yard. Got it? Now, in the first instance, you might go through a mental calculation of how long can I wait before I have to go outside? How hard do I have to work? In the second, you know there is no choice. There is no option. You're doing what the declaration commands. And that's how God comes to Pharaoh. He's not asking for Pharaoh's permission. He's not asking Pharaoh to sign on to what would be a good idea. No, Moses and Aaron are declaring the will of God. Now, the thing about it is, this type of speech is no different than the gospel itself. Remember that the gospel of grace both begins and ends with God. It is His work for His glory. The gospel is not optional. Just two examples from the scripture. In Acts chapter 17, Paul tells us, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now He commands all people everywhere to repent. The gospel is not something that you can take or leave. John writes in 1 John chapter 3, and this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. That's the way the gospel comes to us. And then finally here we see that this proclamation that Moses and Aaron bring to Pharaoh is a covenantal proclamation. They say, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. This is the covenant name for God. The Lord here, you may see in your Bibles, it is capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. It's the same name that the Lord gave to Moses at the burning bush. It is the I Am, Jehovah, Yahweh, the self-existent one. And then, of course, the word for God is the relationship name between God and His people. So together here, this is the covenantal name. God is proclaiming Himself as being in covenant with Israel. He is identifying Himself with His people, for He is the Lord God of Israel. Now, this should be familiar to us. We have the same sort of nomenclature and relationship. We are identified with God. We are in covenant with Him. For what are we called? Christians. We are identified with the name of God. And yet I want you to see that even in the midst of this covenant name, God does not leave Pharaoh outside of the scope of his voice because he is also Jehovah, the great I Am. He has authority over Pharaoh. The second thing we see is that the I Am is not only proclaimed, he then is questioned by Pharaoh. Pharaoh looks at Moses and Aaron, and he says, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? He starts with an insincere question to a reasonable request. He says, Who is the Lord? Now, you almost you have to hear this in a sarcastic tone of voice. This is not a sincere question. 
Pharaoh begins his speech on a note of complete contempt that sets the tone for everything he's going to say. It's as if he was saying this. Now, just exactly who is this God that would send a ragtag group of messengers into my kingdom and to tell me what I should do? You can see that what Pharaoh has is no respect for God. He says, I know who I am. I'm the one in control here. I'm the one who is Lord and King here. I'm the one controlling Israel. Moses and Aaron, if you haven't looked, Israel are the slaves. Why should I care about a slave God? He can't even protect his own people. But it's not just that Pharaoh asks, who is the Lord? He says, who is the Lord? Now this is very ironic, even sarcastic. Because Pharaoh turns the covenantal name of God back on Moses. It's obvious that Pharaoh does not believe that God is the I am self-existent creator who sent Moses. Or else he would have obeyed. Pharaoh simply mocking Moses and God by asking this question. We have to remember that Pharaoh is an ungodly man. A man who is devoted to idols who is himself an idol for his people and his kingdom. He doesn't even speak about God with the respect he might give the God of the Babylonians or the God of the Ethiopians. It's also a question of pride. Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? Now notice how Pharaoh begins, that I should obey. Pharaoh refuses to submit. Pride renders God a disagreeable object to the wicked, including Pharaoh. Nothing is more painful for a proud man than the thought of one such as God, who is infinitely powerful, infinitely just, and infinitely holy. The one who cannot be resisted and who's obligated to no one. Pharaoh obviously will not submit to God. But he also says, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? Now this is the pride that will influence Pharaoh's continued ignorance of God. This pride renders Pharaoh and men like him unwilling to be taught. He asks this question, but he doesn't want an answer. Because he doesn't want to obey. He doesn't want to know because he doesn't want to obey. Now... As Christians, we are not completely immune from this way of thinking. Unless God, by His grace, continues to sanctify us, we are vulnerable to ignoring certain commands of God that we find distasteful to us. There are certain sins that we find difficult to leave. And we make excuses for our disobedience, don't we? We substitute our judgment for the judgment of God. This is a question of pride, but it is also a question that Pharaoh makes of willful ignorance. I do not know the Lord. Now this is the height of Pharaoh's insincerity and pride. It's true that Pharaoh doesn't know God intimately by faith. And therefore, he's bound up in his own sin and disobedience. 
but he willfully does not know who God is. This is the same word for know that we have seen before in our text. It's the same word that's used to describe Adam knowing Eve and God acknowledging or knowing Israel in Exodus chapter 2. It's the word that's used in chapter 3, verse 7, of God knowing the sorrows of His people. It is a word that will be repeated nine times throughout this struggle between now and the Red Sea. God puts His plagues and judgments in that context. It is so that Pharaoh may know. But right now, Pharaoh is not looking for Moses to inform him who God is. This is a cover-up. It's an attempt to justify disobedience. And the scriptures are very clear that the wicked will not seek after God. Job puts it this way. They say to God, depart from us. We do not desire the knowledge of your ways. What is the Almighty that we should serve him? And what profit do we get if we pray to him? The psalmist writes in Psalm 10, In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. And in Psalm 14, The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Now while Pharaoh does not know God in an intimate, covenantal fashion, he does, like all men, know God. Paul makes this very clear to us in Romans chapter 1. He says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. They are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. This is what the unrepentant do. This is the mindset of a sinner. He doesn't want to know God. He pretends he doesn't know God and he rejects God. It is a question that Pharaoh asks of disobedience, finally. He says, I do not know the Lord, nor will I let Israel go. Now what is Pharaoh doing here? Pharaoh is making the same mistake that every enemy of the church since has made. He's judging the power of God by the visible circumstances of his people. Pharaoh is refusing to conform his life to the command of God. And this is the mark of the ungodly. We see this throughout the scriptures. He's disobedient and will not submit to God. The third and final thing we see is that the I am is not only proclaimed and then not only questioned, but he is then affirmed by Moses and Aaron. Do you see how Moses and Aaron respond to Pharaoh's insincere question. Look with me at verse 3. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest He fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. Do you see what Moses and Aaron do not do? They do not 
respond to Pharaoh by modifying the message. Can you see how difficult that would be? Have you ever had a conversation with someone where perhaps you were making a request or trying to convince them of something and they respond boldly, harshly, rejecting what you said? Your first instinct is often to back up a little bit, to soft pedal what you're saying, to try to find a piece of common ground, to to calm them down. But that's exactly not what Moses and Aaron do. They make no attempt at all to make God's word more palatable to Pharaoh. They simply repeat the command of God. Now, if we think about it, what a mercy that is. It would have been just for God to strike down Pharaoh right at this point. He didn't need to mercifully repeat his command. But Moses and Aaron stand firmly on the word of God and declare his will to Pharaoh. And they make a threat. A threat that is plain to Pharaoh in this way. They say, we must go and worship the Lord our God because if we don't, he'll fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. Now, understand what they're saying here. If God would fall upon Israel, the people whom he has come to save for not obeying his command, what is he going to do to Pharaoh for disobeying his command? What will come of Egypt? Peter describes it to us this way in 1 Peter 4. He said, For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? This is a fearful thing. Moses and Aaron are putting right before Pharaoh's face the danger of disobeying God. Now, what does all this then finally mean for us? The first thing is it must show us how evident it is that salvation is holy of grace. Because the wicked, if left to themselves, will perish. They'll never seek God. They'll make excuses. They'll cover things up. They'll cover up their disobedience with an insincere ignorance. The difference between Pharaoh and Moses is one of grace. Secondly, the question then comes to you and to me. Will you neglect God's warnings? Will you disbelieve His promises? Will you pay no attention to His commands? Will you end up like Pharaoh? So powerful, yet teetering on the brink of destruction. What we learn from this is we are not to trust to our own wisdom and power. If you are trusting in yourself here this evening, may God by His Holy Spirit convince you of your guilt and your danger and bring you to the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the cross, to be a humble seeker of mercy. Beware of pride that creeps in upon us. It is a subtle and a devious sin. It is far too easy to indulge pride imperceptibly. Remember that God resists the proud like Pharaoh. But he gives grace to the humble. Moses had no crown. 
He had no royal robes. He had only a shepherd's cloak and a stick. But God honored him far above Pharaoh. Finally, we must examine ourselves. Are you seeking after the knowledge of God by diligently and humbly studying the Scriptures, by fervent prayer, and by a conscientious improvement of your public and private opportunities that God has given to you? Are you seeking the favor of God as the one thing you need, avoiding everything else which tends to displease Him, and practicing everything that tends to secure His praise? Is communion with God the grand object of your desires, the principal source of your pleasures, and the reward at which you aim? This interchange between Moses and Aaron and Pharaoh is very instructive to us. It instructs us that our only hope, our only safety is found in the great I Am, the one who has chosen by His covenant to be in a relationship with His people. And we hear His voice and we obey. We do not pretend that we do not know. We don't mock God. We don't put up ignorance insincerely to cover for disobedience. We hear His voice. We know He loves us. And we obey. That's the fruit of the gospel. It's the work that the Lord our God has done in our hearts. Let's pray.